Christians, this is week two of your story. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Today is week two of our 40-week journey that we're doing this school year through the New Testament, looking at 40 key passages that are just, they're important and vital for you to know. And we're doing it because we believe here that God does, in fact, transform lives, right? And that transformation, it comes about in ways that we don't often expect. Where God does his work is in this thing called his word that we call the Bible. It's where God comes to us. It's where God speaks to us. It's where God begins his work getting inside of us and moving us and changing us and making us who he has always dreamed for us to be. We can go to the greatest spiritual events ever. We can feel so uplifted. We can feel all these kinds of things, but without God's spirit doing his work inside, we are bankrupt. And God's spirit swims in this stream through the Bible, and so we're continuing that journey today, which causes a really big problem, I think, for most of us. This sucker's tough, isn't it? I mean, it's okay to admit it. I know those of you who have been with us long enough here at FOF know that we can be honest here in church. This is a hard book. Which of you has ever gotten in this thing and gotten confused? Lost? Angry? Yeah? And, and, and you get into it, and, and you're like, God, if this is how you transform lives, you better be doing your work because I don't got a prayer. It's like, it is a tough, difficult book, and it's okay to admit it. But what we're going to be doing today is looking at a passage that I hope sheds some light on how to navigate this thing that we call the New Testament. Because I found getting into it can be a lot like getting lost in a cornfield. All right? Everything is over our head. We don't know where to go. And then you start hearing like creepy things that start wigging you out. You know what I mean? Do you guys remember about 10 years ago a movie came out? It was called Signs. It was a Shalomon movie with Mel Gibson. Remember this? Hit the lights for me. Take a look because the New Testament sometimes reminds me a lot of what you're about to see.
Do you ever have those moments where someone tells you you should really read the Bible and you find yourself standing in the midst of it with like this, this blank horrific stare on your face going, I have no idea what to do. And you start going slowly backwards through. And before you know, it's pushing in around you. And you don't know where to go. And someone comes along and they give you some little guide. And they say, oh, this is going to help you out a lot. It helped me. And it's like this beam of light that gives you that much arc. And then the dumb thing goes out on you. And then you read something and it creeps you out. You read something and it's like you start seeing things and you start getting this panic and you want to run. Guys, I'm here to tell you this morning, if I am am describing an experience that you have had in the Bible, you can rest assured that you stand in a long and proud tradition of believers dating back to the time of Christ. It is not always an easy book. I think we do people a disservice when we tell them any child can understand it. Yeah, any child can read the Bible and have God speak to them. And yet you can spend a lifetime meditating and studying and still not hit the bottom of its depths. Agreed? And so what I'd like to do is share with you something that Jesus says that hopefully helps you navigate the cornfield of the Bible. Now, last week, I shared with you a model, a way to think about the Bible and to think about it as a five-act play. A five-act play that looks something like this. It begins in the Old Testament with creation, and then act two is the fall, followed by God working through his people, Israel. And then the climax of this act, uh, of this play, comes about with Jesus, this unexpected and yet foreshadowed event that seems to bring everything to a climax. And then we hit act five. And Act 5 is is a little bit different than what we'd expect because it begins with the New Testament, but most of Act 5 is missing. Only some hints of how it ends. And what we're called to do is live out in continuity with the four acts before us, our story, which is God's story, and the missing pieces of Act 5 of the play. Are you tracking? So the question is, if this is God's story, and this story is meant to inform us how to act out the dot, dot, dot of Act 5, how do we make sense of the storyline and where it's going, particularly Acts 1, 2, and 3? Now let's go back to the passage that Mark read. Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to do away with, to abolish, to destroy at all works, the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, when Jesus says the law and the prophets, do you know what he means? That is the the first century Jewish way of saying the Old Testament. Because to Jesus, it wasn't old yet right? It was just the Word of God. So when the New Testament or early Jewish literature or Jesus or his disciples talk about the law or the prophets or sometimes simply quote the law, what they are referring to is the Old Testament. And Jesus comes along and he says, wait a minute, wait. You've seen me doing all these these, these radical things. You've seen me setting this new trajectory, but don't think that I have come to do away with that. 
I have not come to do away with it. I have come to fulfill it. And just in case you're missing me here, guys, until heaven and earth pass away, and what Jesus says is not one iota, not one caria will pass away from the Old Testament until all things come about. Which, of course, brings up the question, what's an iota? And what's a caria? Now, your translations may say something like this. It may say something like, not one jot or tittle is an old way that it used to be put. More, more modern translations will say something like this. Not the smallest letter or the least stroke of a pen. Let me show you where they're getting that from and what an iota and a caria actually is. What does Jesus say will not disappear from the OT? Well, he says this. First, that won't. That's an iota. It is the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. Just just as an aside, do you know how many letters are in the Greek alphabet? Uh, Do you know know how many letters are in the Old Testament? Is that something you want to sit down and count? Do you know that people have? How many words, how many phrases, and how many letters? There was this Jewish sect, they were called the Masoretes, and they prided themselves on preserving the word of God 1,500 years before computers ever hit the screen. And what they would do is they'd sit around and count. I mean, OCD off the grid, am I right? And they would sit around and count and go, yeah, Leviticus 11 verse 1 is the exact middle letter of the Pentateuch. Did you know that? Now you can go home feeling fulfilled at night. And Jesus says, not one of those letters, not one of those like 8 trillion bazillion letters will disappear from what God has laid out. He says not one carrier will disappear. What's that? Well, easiest way that I can describe it to you. Think in the world of fonts, all right? There is something called Times New Roman font. Who is like a, who's like a diehard Times New Roman user here? All right, there's only like four holding out. It's okay to admit it, guys. We've all been at Times New Roman once in our lives, okay? Who here is an Arial font user? All right, what is the difference? And what, what are the rest of you guys? Like, using, like, the weird comic sans or something? You know how impossible that is to read? What is the difference between a Times New Roman and an Arial? Well, let's look at the letter H. Times New Roman tends to have flair. It needs 17 pieces of flair, right? It has flair. Arial, no flair. If you look at the letter H, do you see those, those feet... And those, those hats, that Times New Roman, those stylistic little things, that is a carrier. Now, does it make a bit of difference if that flair is there or not for the meaning of the word? But you know what Jesus says? Not one of those will disappear. I have not come to abolish it. Not one of those will disappear until all things have been what? Do you remember it? Fulfilled. Now, the Greek word laying behind the word fulfilled is right here for you. It's pronounced, uh, I'll come back to that, play rao. Okay? Give me a play rao. The rest of you give me a play rao. And please give it to me like you actually want to say it. God bless you. Thank you. Give me, give, 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 give me some rope here, all right? Plerao gets translated a few different ways. You'll see it in various English translations like this. Oftentimes, fulfill, but sometimes accomplish, sometimes achieve. Sometimes when they want to get really wordy, it'll say things like, to bring into actualization and fruition. Oh, gag. 
But you get the sense of what it means. Now, Jesus comes along and he says, I've not come to do away with it. I have come to fulfill it, accomplish it, achieve it, bring it into fruition and actualization and everything else in between. To which I simply say, what, what the heck does that mean? Now, this is important because if Jesus says that the first part or the first three acts of our story are not going to pass away, not one letter, not one little bit, I want to know as I'm trying to live out Act 5 how I'm supposed to live in relation to that. Does that mean that I need to start sacrificing goats? Acts 1 through 3 would say so. Does that mean I need to approach God in a tabernacle or a temple, but only if I'm ceremonially clean, only if I am Jewish, and only if all the prescribed rites have happened first? Does that mean I shouldn't wear clothing woven of two kinds of material? Because that's in Acts 1 through 3 is one of the laws of the Old Testament. Or that I shouldn't clip the hair at the side of my head or the edge of my beard. I mean, are we called the mountain madness here in playing out Act 5 of the story? I've been thinking about this and what it means for living out Act 5. And uh, I've been thinking about this English word that we use, fulfill. Can you think of the last time you used the word fulfill in like, everyday conversation? You, you know, like, do, do you show up and go, honey, I am here to fulfill the to-do list. I, we, we don't talk like that. Well, we don't do it either, right, guys? But we don't talk like that. But there is a place that I've stumbled upon that fulfill does seem to continue to operate in everyday English use. Here it is. Can you make that out? What you are looking at is my my wife's college diploma. Now, of course, they intentionally put it in an old English font because they don't know the wisdom of Times New Roman or Ariel, right? And also to make it impossible for us to, to read, especially on Mr. Fuzzy over there. But let me just walk you through what it says. International Business College, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Upon recommendation of the faculty and staff, International Business College um, does hereby confer upon Tina Marie Gerber, unfortunately not the heir to the baby food empire, an associate's degree in applied science, paralegal studies. Now, can you make out the next sentence with me? If you can, probably not, but if you can, read it along with me which recognizes fulfillment of the requirements for this curriculum. Which recognizes what? Fulfillment of the requirements. And Jesus says, I have not come to do away with the requirements. I have not come to do away with the law. I have come to do what? Fulfill them. Now this morning when I was doing this, I wanted to use my own diploma. You want to see something absolutely absurd? So I found my diploma and I got like all excited going, yeah, I bet the word fulfill is going to be in there. You want to see it? Can you, can, can you read that? They put the stupid thing in Latin. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I, I, mean, I can tell people it's anything, I suppose. Yeah, a triple doctorate, baby. See, it's right there. Oh, you don't know Latin? Well, see, you don't have a doctorate, right? I mean, you know, you do it like... So we're, we're going to go back to Tina's. All right. Now... 
I want to do something here with you today, and I want to show you where, where the implication of this is actually going. If you've graduated from eighth grade, okay? If you've graduated from eighth grade, would you stand up? All right. Now, we're going to do a little bit of a game here today. I am going to say the next degree in line. Okay? When I say the next degree, if you have not achieved that degree here in this room, sit down. Does that make sense? So if I say, do you have a, a quadruple doctorate in, in, in theoretical physics, we would all sit down, right? Okay. So we got eighth grade up. High school. Okay. Great. Associate's degree. Bachelor's degree. Master's degree. And do we have any doctoral studs on the block? At 9 o'clock, we had one doctorate person with us, all right? So, hey, guys, way to go. Um, there's just a lot of collective student debt in this room right now. Give yourselves a hand, all right? <laughs> now, tell me, would this make any sense? You graduate eighth grade. You're done. You're done with middle school. You're done with junior high, right? It's time to go to the new high school. It's ninth grade year. They give you your eighth grade diploma in hand, and you're ready. Summer break comes. When fall rolls around and school comes back to its beginning, would it make any sense whatsoever to go back to your eighth grade classroom? No? So, so when you graduate, when those of you who graduated high school... Are you telling me that when fall came around, you didn't go back to high school? How come? Because you're finished. You've accomplished that which it was supposed to do, right? And it would be absolutely stupid to fulfill the requirements and then go back and continue to pay tuition to take classes that you don't need that aren't leading you anywhere because you've already gone beyond them. Are you with me? And I think about what it means when Jesus says that he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. It's like Jesus has come along and said, you graduated. The diploma is in hand. Or maybe better put, that Jesus graduated on your behalf and wrote your name where it says Tina Marie Gerber and says requirements fulfilled. Now, I've known, I've known believers who, who have wanted to, to truly live out the story of the Bible. And in so doing, they have gone back and rooted themselves in the Old Testament in a way that just gets kind of weird. And I almost imagine God in heaven kind of doing this to us when that happens. Hit the lights one more time, and let me just show you what, what I think God is saying in those moments. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Oh, we even get the Paramount thing at the end. All right. <laughs> to those of you 
who are trying to live the story of the Old Testament and all of its requirements, God has a word for you today. It's over. Go home. Why are you still here? Because it doesn't make sense to continue to live the story that has been fulfilled. Now, I've known many other believers who pride themselves on being Jesus only or red letter Christians or New Testament people as though the Old Testament doesn't have a place. But let me ask you, those of you who went to school, does the fact that you graduated mean your education is bad or that it served no purpose? Would you in fact say the opposite, that even though it's fulfilled, it was instrumental in making me who I am teaching me the skills and setting me on a certain life course and trajectory to bring me to where I am today. And so Jesus, I haven't come to do away with the story. No, it is absolutely formative. It has a continuous part into the formation of who you are, and yet there's a discontinuous piece and that it has been fulfilled on your behalf. Are you getting it? Not only that, what does it start to say about Jesus? Because when, Jesus, when God laid down this covenant, he made it something that was meant to be binding. And Jesus comes along and says, you've heard it said, but I tell you, which seems to say to me that this guy has, well, as, as Matthew put it, a lot of stinking authority. And we talked about how Jesus said all authority has been given to me and how he didn't say all authority has been given to the Bible but that Jesus breathing his authority through it, kind of working out his authority through it, comes to transform the lives in him, which means this. Do you want to get the Bible? Do you want it to make sense? Do you want it to click? And do you want it to fit together in such a way to show you where the story is going and how it plays out in your life? There's only one way you can do it. You've got to do it through Jesus. You've got to read everything in light of him. You've got to read everything through his lens, which means there's rabbis out there right now who know the old covenant by heart. I could say a phrase. I've seen this happen. I've actually played with it on one occasion with one. You can do this where you say a phrase and they will then recite the next chapter of the Bible and you don't even tell them where you're reciting from. They could probably say it backwards. Have you ever heard someone talk backwards? Like my name backwards is Devade, right? Does it make sense? Can you imagine doing the whole Bible that way? Well, they can. And yet, without Jesus, it means they don't get it. Which means that if you're looking to see how God is speaking to you, you need Jesus who comes in and says, I have not come to do away with it. I have come to fulfill it. Because I'm the one with authority around here. And it'll only make sense through me. And I think about this. And I think about what Jesus says. And I came across this quote by this guy named Jeff Gibbs. Let me share it with you today. He says this. With the death and resurrection of, of the Lord, of Jesus, then... All things have taken place. And the new heavens and new earth have begun to manifest themselves in Jesus. 
that with him such authority has come, such power has come, something so new has come that it can be spoken of in no less terms than the fulfillment of all that has been before, that it can be spoken of as nothing less than a new age, a new era, a new heavens, a new earth. The new has come. Which means when you start getting burdened by the story, when it starts to weigh on you and convict you, maybe you need to think of your life song. And I think in Jesus, your life song is this. It's been fulfilled, baby. Throw the hat. You've graduated, not because of your own strength and power, but because Christ has fulfilled it for you. And he will set your life on a story arc and a trajectory, which takes God's story and plays it out in you. Does it make sense here today? Got to do the whole thing again? Does it make sense here today? Okay, he's like, just lie to him. All right. <laughs> It's one of the toughest passages of the Bible, people will say. What does Jesus mean that it won't pass away till heaven and earth passes away? And what does it mean that he's come to fulfill it? And what does it mean that all things have to come about? And what does it mean as we live in relation to the old, which we don't do away with, but live in something that is called nothing short of new? To summarize, it just means this. Jesus has brought the story to its fulfillment and put it to a new plane to keep doing X 1, 2, and 3 over and over again is to miss what God is looking to do in you. So what does it mean to take that story? To take the curriculum and all that it's developed in you, all that you've learned from it, all the ways that it's come to shape you, all the things that you've experienced by interfacing with it and go and live the new chapter of life with God. doesn't mean graduating and moving back with your parents. <laughs> Students are going, yeah. Parents are going, no. <laughs> Does it mean going and sitting in your classroom over and over again? Does it mean getting your degree and saying, well, that was fun. Now what do I do? I guess I'll watch some TV. No, it means taking everything that has shaped you and putting it into practice, living it out in the new adventure of who it's made you to be. Do that. And you start to experience what it means when we say God's story is your story. So guys, I, I want to invite you to rise today. We're, we're going to close in a time of worship, but before we do that, I want to invite you today to make that next step with God in intentionally trying to make his story your own. Last week we did something here. If you were with us, it was called a shout-out prayer. Prayer is a way that we talk to God. And his word is how he talks to us. God likes it when we talk to him. But rather than me just stand here today and do all the talking like to invite you this morning to speak to God as well. Here's how this works. We're on a 40-week journey of trying to make God's story our own. 
With it comes insight, joy, struggle, challenge. Would you agree? I want to invite you to verbalize that to God today. So maybe it sounds like this. You just shout out, God, Hebrew 6, kick my butt. But make your story my story. Maybe it's like this, God, I don't know where to begin. Make your story my story. Maybe it sounds like this, God, it was incredible. Thank you for coming to me yesterday. Make your story my story. You see how this works? Just invite you after you give that shout out to God. Conclude with the line, make your story my story. Because that's what we're all about here what we're doing today. So I invite you to close your eyes. Give people that that sense of protection around you to be vulnerable with God. And have the guts to pray. So guys, let's come together and pray. Lord, thank you for your your Bible. Thank you for your word. Thank you for that that it's not left to our, our intuition. But God, it can be tough. Make your story my story. Thank you for a week in Hebrews. Make your story my story. us from the fear of not being able to obey. Make your story my story. Thank you for fulfilling it for me. Make your story my story. us to know the story, to learn it, to fall in love with it. Help it to become a part of us. Help it to shape us and mold us and make us the people that you've called us to be. God, help it to stir in us and direct us and guide us. Help it to teach us. And yet through it all, may we know, God, that it has been fulfilled in you that we are new creations called to live it out in the next chapter, called to live it out, God, in this time until you return. May we do it with faithfulness. May we do it with integrity. May we do it with with a sense of honor to that which has led us to this point. May we stand in line with where the story is going. May we discover the freedom to improvise and express. Play your story out in our lives, O Lord transform us. 
God, we pray. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.